As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, Adult film stars, sportsman drag racing. Big Jed, how are you? Luke, first of all, we don't discuss that enough. We need another round of that coming up real soon. We're we're starting to get into the the fall and winter months, so let's let's get that on the schedule. But other than I love, that, I love how every time that we do that, I say every time, like we've done it a dozen times, we've done it twice. Every time we do that, you say never again. I'm never going to subject myself to that again, and then. Nine, 10, 11 months pass, and you just romanticize about the laughs. And you're like, yeah, let's run it back. I I'll, miss be happy, it. I'll be happy to run that back and let you make a fool of yourself again, Big Jed. Anytime. <laughs> can't, can't wait. What else is new? Uh, <laughs> but I'm well. Everything's good around here, man. Um, you know, just loving life. The, the weather's starting to cool off just a little bit. Uh, the, some of our best racing is starting to come around these fall uh, late summer, early fall, big buck races are happening, which gives us a lot of stuff to talk about. There's WDRA news, the, the Jeg summer door car shootouts coming up. I'm going to the beach for a few days for a little work trip. I mean, things are great, Luke. Okay. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here. And I, I don't take this the wrong way. I am very excited about the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout. By the time that you listen to this podcast, it will be in full effect. Um, I've reached that point. I'll say this, Victor. There are two things in life right now that I'm just not a fan of. Right now, as we record Tuesday evening, September 13th, 
that I that right now take my words like don't care if I ever do again. I, that's going to change. You know the ebb and flow <laughs> of race promotion. Right now, I would say I don't care if I never promote another promote another drag race. I don't care if I never go to another junior dragster race. There's two things that I love, Big Jed. Love. They've got me yes. beat down right now. Yeah, I understand, but from everything's a promotion cyclical. Yes. From a promotion standpoint, I feel like this is the, the typical arc of race promotion. You get an idea, you put it together, you roll the flyer out and, and just fire it up like, oh, yeah, this is going to be awesome, right? And then you start to realize how much work there is from that point to actually hosting the event. That's the worst part to me. Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, putting together the sponsors, answering the questions, doing all the legwork to make sure that everything goes as smoothly as possible. And I'm right at the very end of that, like I'm in the valley, right? I, and then it, at least, knock on wood, in my experience to this point, that trajectory arcs right back up because at the event is an exhilarating experience. Like you, you've got all of these decisions to make, it's it's just you stimulated the whole time and at least you know knock on wood to this point i've left with with maybe one or two exceptions every event that we've ever put on thinking man that was awesome like the the racers seemed to have a good time people appreciated the effort that we put into it you know to try to make you know ultimately you come into it wanting to put on a race that you'd want to go to and you go through the muck of trying to really actually build a race that you'd want to go to. And then in the end, if it ends up being a race, you're like, man, I wish I could erase that. That's a good feeling, but I'm, I'm just yes. not there right now. Similarly, I love watching my son drive his junior dragster. It's the coolest thing in the world. Jed, the last time that we went racing, we've tested We've worked, obviously, like any junior director, I've spent money. I have invested way too much time in this, right? <laughs> the last time that we went racing, we've got an 1190 junior director. They're awful, right? They, they don't run two at nothing. The last time that we went out, my man went three days within eight hundredths of a second. And I thought, my God, I have figured it out. I put that thing in the trailer. Rolled it back out two weeks later. Go, boy, I got a good race car. We went for three days, Big Jed. It didn't run within eight tenths. Mm. I want to push that thing off a cliff. It's the stupidest thing I've ever looked at. Yes. Those things are love-hate. My, my man gets out of the car after losing his first Like, literally, we get to the point in the weekend where I'm like, Gary, listen, I think you can go a tenth faster than your dial. Good luck. That's it, right? That go do it. <laughs> and then I watch him light it up a tenth above, wide open. And I'm like, what in the world? Right. It gets to the point, my man gets out of the car the last run of the weekend. I get down to him. He's like teary-eyed, frustrated. I hate this car. It's just so inconsistent. And normally the dad and me be like, you little entitled bastard, you're going to appreciate this car. And I just, <laughs> I had to, I had to look at him and go, you know, I feel the same way. Let's burn it. <clears throat> this is our best intro ever. <laughs> so that's where I'm at right now. I'm a little bit beat down. It, things are about to get better. It's going to be a really fun weekend, but yes. yeah, right now just not feeling it. I totally understand. It's a love-hate relationship. You, you love who's in it, but you hate what they're riding in. So just got to learn to deal with it. But uh, Luke, there's some great racing to talk about this show. 
We've got hundred granders galore. We've got fully paid purses for events that come up a little short on car count, but promoters doing the right thing. We've got some NHRA action. Again, talking about the WDRA. There's plenty, plenty to unpack on this show. It's going to be a little bit on the shorter side for us, but it's still going to be well worth the listen. We thought that coming in, but if you're scrolling across, like, yeah, a little short. They went for an hour and a half. Here we go. <laughs> As you said, Big Jen, we've got a big statement, or what I think was a big statement in the, the race promotion game. Uh, we've got a big mover in the NHRA standings. And where we'll start, my man, is probably, honestly, where we'll finish as well. But there's nothing sweeter than a repeater. All that and more. But first, BJ North. All right, Big Jed, let's start with Summer Fling Columbus, where I'll just say this. There's nothing sweeter than a repeater. A year ago, <laughs> so, so I've heard. <laughs> a year ago at Summer Fling Columbus, Pete Dagnolo collects $30,000 check. This time around at Columbus, Pete Dagnolo collects $30,000 check. Uh, I think they flip flop days. I think preceding Pete's victory in 2021, we saw Garrett Griffith collect a big check at Summer Filling Columbus. In 2022, Garrett Griffith collected a big check at Summer Fling Columbus. There was really no surprises at Columbus, and it was almost like we ran it back nearly to a T. Yeah, Luke, it definitely had a familiar feel to it, uh, which is pretty incredible, really, in this day and time with the competition that's out there and the things to line up the way it did with some repeat winners. But, you know, you you talk about Pete Diagnolo, fresh off a of Superstock win in Indy, arguably a very talented field there with the all-stars and everything combined had to be on cloud nine and then rolls out the bracket car and collects a $30,000 payday again in Columbus and the Malibu. Just this guy, I don't know, Lucas, it's really remarkable how often he's going to the winner's circle in so many different types of cars and categories you know, arguably, this guy is as talented as anybody in racing. I mean, he really has all the skills and continues to show up on the big stages and get it done. Pete Diagnolo is is having a dream, I would say, season. He's really been doing this longer than a season, obviously. He's really been winning at a, a high clip longer than a season. So he's having a, a, a dream decade, I guess, if you will, uh, started out started this out on this winning streak probably 18 to, to 24 months ago. So this guy's incredible, continuing to get it done. Very, very impressive with that 30K win over Eric Paterka. Uh, and again, repeating what he accomplished last year at the Summer Fling is, is just really cool for him, especially off of uh, coming straight off of Andy. I, I said a week ago, Pete Dagnolo criminally underrated. If he keeps this up, that's not going to last for long, right? Like people have to notice at some no point. Doubt. Um, but no, to your to your point, Jed, it, I think what stands out the most to me about this is that level of let's just call it dominance 
in what, at least in my mind, are two incredibly different disciplines, like two very distinct opposite facets of our sport. And yes, it's, it's bottom bulb and super stock. It's, it's top bulb, obviously at the fling. Right. But I, I feel like there's more to it than that specific to Indy. I mean, Indy just, we talked about this a little bit with Austin Williams a week ago, how I just feel like that particular race really lends itself to a very unique skill set in that the race is so spread out and I don't care how good your stuff is or how much experience you have with it. There are just rounds that you're going to stage up. It's quarter mile. You haven't been down the track and sometimes, you know, multiple days, but forget multiple hours. Like there's just, there are going to be rounds at Indy where you stage up and you don't really know what you can run. Right. And that requires a, a unique skill set. And then to juxtapose that with, you know, today's big dollar bracket race, which by the time we get to round four, like it's an eighth mile bracket race on a great facility, like everybody knows what they can run. You know what I mean? And so those two disciplines are, are, are a really a 180 and it's just not that common, particularly in this day and age to see racers that have the skill set to excel at both. I think that's really unique. And I think it's something that might be lost on the, on the average bystander, but that's not easy to do. It's, it's two things independently that aren't easy to do. And there are very few people that I think are really capable of consistently doing them both. And obviously Pete Dagnolo has proven time and time again that he is. Yeah, no doubt. And and you say criminally underrated. And and I think that's primarily because he spends so much time on the NHRA side where uh, us bracket racers tend to, uh, I guess, downplay what it takes to go out there and be successful because we don't we don't understand it very well. We don't live it. But I assure you, I've, I've done just enough of it to know how difficult it is. It doesn't matter how talented you are. Like you said, when you don't know what you can run and, and you've waited a day or two to make a run and maybe even in between elimination rounds, it could be a day or two. That takes incredible discipline, knowledge, talent and focus. And, and guys like Pete Diagnolo deserve a lot of credit for what they accomplished on that side. And then to come over here and do it on the, the side that we, or that, that I see the most, uh, just again, uh, amazing talent and, and very well-deserved. If, if he were to bracket race, big buck bracket race more, I mean, I think we'd talk about him like we talk about some of the elite or a lot of the elite racers. Luke, I really think he would just continue to put his name in the middle of a lot of great winter circles and certainly would uh, would win his share of them. Yeah, no, that's actually a really good point. Like, let's separate this and just say on the door car side of things. I, I think Pete Agnolo is on that tier with the, the, the top. Like, I can't think of anybody that'd say like, oh, I would, I would put above him on the door car side, like at all. Um, you know, who's on that tier. I don't even know, like Underwood's cooled in recent years. West May doesn't travel anymore. Scotty's up there. You could probably name a handful more. I don't think there's anybody I'd put above Pete at this point. Yeah. You know, obviously uh, you got Nick Hastings that, that well, can yeah, to show up on the door car side, okay. but it is a little different, but uh, just top bulb door car racing. I don't think there's anybody any more consistent winning than Pete Diagnolo is or would 
had he uh, decided to do that very much. So a uh, really, uh, really cool accomplishment for him. Luke, they, they did start out the, the Columbus Fling on Wednesday with a 15K. And again, you just mentioned Wes May. Wes has got a house full of kids. He's married. He's got plenty of responsibility in his life now where he doesn't uh, to get out a whole lot. But uh, when he does, obviously, he still shows up. Did make it to the final of that first race on Wednesday. But another familiar name and another guy that, that really doesn't get the credit he deserves. He, he's very quiet, and he, he just is not a guy that I guess is kind of in your face with his results. But he's always right in the middle of it, and that's Josh Ludke. Very talented racer, racing with Steve Law and – you know, he, he just shows up in time after time and, and puts his name in the winner's circle plenty. I mean, he really does win quite a bit and makes the final rounds quite a bit. So a really good start there for Josh Ludke and, and a guy, again, that's, uh, that's underrated in my opinion. No, that's a really good point. And I know it's easy for us to just fall in the trap on the podcast of being, you know, whoever won, we're just going to sing their praises, right? That's kind of what we end up doing. But to your point with with Ludke, I think I'm guilty of kind of taking his skill set and really his his growth, his upward trajectory over probably what now the last decade. I think I'm guilty of really taking that for granted because you always, like you said, you see him late in race after race after race after race, and I just don't think much of it, right? And it was actually in um, in St. Louis at the TB Promotions race a, a month or two ago where he nearly ran the table. I think he uh, did he runner up both fifties. Win one, runner up one. He was into both yep. finals, right? Yeah, I think so. And it was on the, I think before he made the first final there, I was the where I ended up parked there. I was basically sharing a pit area with Nick Folk. And at like 30 cars left, Nick's like, that Lukey kid should win. Like, I don't understand how he doesn't win more than he does with the kind of runs that he makes. And if you know Nick Folk, like he's not one to just hand out praise. <laughs> You know what I mean? So it really made me think for a second, like, okay, this is something I probably should pay more attention to. Right. And then I watched Josh not only run the table, but I watched the manner in which he does it. Right. And he's always wrecked the tree. Right. And he's typically dependent on, on his race car. Like he's really turned a corner at the other end of the racetrack. And he is, yes. Like Nick's, Nick's probably been watching this for two or three years and I'm a little bit late to the party, but yeah, Ludke is, is, not only got all the tools is displaying all the tools. And I think now, um, you know, for the first time consistently, like he's just showing up in big final after big final after big final. And, and he's another name that I think you're right. Like uh, very much underrated at this point and at the rate that he's going, that's not going to last long. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Well said uh, and, and really happy to see, you know, he and Steve Law, that's a, that's two good dudes and they're out there doing it together. Good to see those guys have some success. Uh, I don't know. You'll, you'll probably see them this weekend or at least Steve, I don't know if they're, if, if both of them's in the show, but um, I'm sure that uh, those guys will be trying to get after your money here really soon in a few days. Luke, there was another 30 grander. The, the race, as always, the fling races wrap up on Saturday, weather permitting. 
Saturday's 30K was Garrett Griffith. Again, a young, talented racer. Garrett doesn't do a whole lot of traveling. He's young and he's still finding his way in life, I'm sure. But when he gets to the racetrack, he finds his way to the winner's circle quite often. This is a, this is a young man with lots and lots of talent and some really nice and good equipment. So uh, I, I think he's going to be a name that we see for many, many years to come uh, showing up in the winner's circle. And he got the win over Timmy Markaglou. Again, Markaglou, you know, he's going coast to coast at these flings and he's winning and he's performing at a high level. A guy that's just seems really happy-go-lucky, just loving life and out here doing his thing. So good to see uh, Mark Glue get another big final round coming up short there to Garrett Griffith in the Saturday 30K. But Luke. Garrett, Garrett Griffith, okay, nothing sweeter than a repeater. And Timmy Mark Glue, like, is it a fling race anymore if Timmy's not in a final? It's every <laughs> freaking one of these. Yeah, yeah, he's always there. That's really why I say when, when you look through the results of this event, and obviously the field is is littered. It's a, it's a it's a relatively big crowd full of the most talented racers in the country. And there, in fairness, there are probably forty names that you could see in the final and go, "Well, that's no surprise." But you look at the eight that made the final, and you're like, "That's no surprise." With the possible exception of of Eric Paterka, who runnered up to to Pete Dagnolo, as you said earlier, and those that know know. Like Paterka doesn't get on the road much at all. He races at uh, at US 131 for the most part, but I believe he's, I think he was the track champion there last year. And that's a, that's a stout local crowd, right? That's a dude that can get it done. That just doesn't get the opportunity very often. And he was putting on a show, at least for the first couple of days there at the flame. Beyond that, like the other seven, seven finalists, I think if you gave us, I don't know, 25 draft picks, we'd probably pick all seven. <laughs> yeah, you might be right about that. So, Luke, that covers the quote-unquote little races. <laughs> yeah, those, we kind of buried the lead. Yeah, so, with yeah. all due respect to to those uh, very highly accomplished winners, they were not the story. The story was the main event, 100K on Friday. Um, you know, I, I've come right off the BTE Labor Day 250K where we had 100,000 to win main event on Saturday and it was won by Nick Hastings. We we talked about that on the show, and it has been well documented. Uh, Nick said in his interview that you know he struggled this year. Now struggling for Nick is is still a dream season for most. But he said he struggled. But he said he hoped that hundred k win was going to turn it around. He he went to the final the next day for ten k. Come up a little short to Joe Bob Foley, and then he goes to Columbus while maintaining his footbreaker status in their format that allows the bottom bulb racers to run together until there's one remaining and then they roll into the the top bulb category and nick took his pontiac t1000 to his second 100k final and i guess since he did it on saturday and then did it on friday so it was exactly seven days incredible luke uh, he did run her up and we will talk about that and that winner here just shortly but nick going to 200k finals in seven days two different states two different styles of events two different formats i think he's turned his season around luke i'm not 100 percent sure <laughs> but i think he did 
<laughs> yeah, I think I think that's fair to say. On the surface, this looks a lot like what we just talked about with Pete Dagnolo, right? To win on two of the biggest stages in our sport that are, are dramatically different events, right? A hundred grander on the top, a hundred grander on the bottom, right? And obviously Nick didn't win the hundred grander on the top, but made the final. But when you, as you dig a little bit deeper, like that's not really accurate because Nick's doing the same damn thing. Right? Very and I good think point. We, we've talked about this before, how easy it is to take this for granted. You are not supposed to be in the final of a hundred thousand dollar to win super pro race off the bottom. And yet when Nick Hastings does it, we're like, yep. I mean, it's, it's completely taken for granted because he's that freaking good. And to your point, I mean, to, I don't, I say it's a short list. Like it's a, probably a list of one. Um, how many racers have been, let's forget the back-to-back aspect of it. Let's forget even being in the same year. How many racers have staged up for a hundred thousand dollars or more to win on the top in a top bulb race, right? And a hundred thousand dollars or more to win on the bottom. Like it, it might just be Nick and he did it in six days time. It's yeah. ridiculous, right? He, he probably is on that list by himself, Luke. And, and again, just so, so good at his craft and his discipline and his preparation. And, you know, I've watched Nick a lot. I really have. And I admire his talent, always have. So, Luke, I'm cutting grass Sunday and, and I'm out there sweating like a hostage. And I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to do the best I can. OK, I'm I'm on the zero turn and I'm I'm trying to put the, the good lines in the front yard. And I'm, I'm dressing her up, doing everything I can. But I just felt like I was doing a bad job. I, I wasn't performing at the level that I want to perform. And I I find myself doing that in racing as well. And something just popped in my head while I'm out there cutting the grass. Like, I wonder what Nick's grass looks like. You know, I wonder, does he take the same approach at every everything in life that he does in his racing you know is his grass tall and nasty because he just don't like fooling with it does he pay someone or does nick get out there and take pride in getting his grass just right and doing the weed eating just right you know does nick fold clothes well you know is he really good at that is he you know i shouldn't say this because this could be taken wrong but is he a good kisser you know, is Nick just the, like the best kisser ever? I wonder, does this guy take the same passion and desire to the plate every time he's got a task in front of him? And it just, I really want to know more about him outside of the track because I just, nobody can be as good as he is on the track. And I certainly could learn to hate him if he was that good off the track too. Uh, are you done? Ah, uh, for now. Yeah. I had a, I had a few follow-ups, but I didn't want to interrupt that monologue because that's, that's like sportsman drag racing podcast gold. Um, okay. <laughs> I've got a theory on this. I, I, my theory is that we, we all as, as individuals, we have essentially the, the same, amount of available bandwidth right there's just certain people that that channel it all in one direction right like 
for Nick, it's obviously hitting the bottom ball with a level that no one else ever has. Like, I think you do that that well. There's just not much room for much else, right? That would maybe, make sense. Maybe that is my way of justifying that there are a very select few things in life that I feel like I am competent at. And I just choose to suck at everything else, right? Or that's how I justify sucking at everything else. I say, well, I'm, I, I choose to be good at these couple of things so I can suck at everything else, right? But again, maybe that's just my way of justifying it. Maybe there are people that perform at a Nick Hastings-like level in multiple facets of life. And maybe, maybe Nick is one of those people. My hunch here is like you say you want to know. My hunch is you don't. You just want to assume that that like the, he's got the good lines throughout, and let's just say he does everything like he races because I think we'll all sleep better. Well, you know, so we got a we have a common friend, a good friend, Greg Kaufman, G Unit. You know, he he's got like seventy five race cars, and the valve covers are clean on all seventy five of them. You know, this guy is just meticulous about everything. And he races well. He goes to the track with that same passion. You know, I wonder if Nick's daily driver is vacuumed. Is it is it clean? Is are the do the tires have shine on them? You know, I want this guy to be as perfect off the track as he is on the track. But I just feel like there's a chance he's a train wreck off the track. You know, I bet his oil ain't been changed. You know, he keeps it he keeps his hot rod meticulously maintained. But I bet the oil on his daily driver is like 4,000 miles overdue and he doesn't even get it changed. Just when the light comes on and tells him it's low, he just puts a little in it. That's the kind of guy that I want Nick to be off the track. Cause I don't <laughs> want him to be, I don't want him to be as perfect off as he is on. I, I, I mean, you would probably know the answers to this far better than I do. I can neither confirm nor deny. I, I can't get Nick Hastings to return my text messages. Right. So I have no idea. I will just say from, from experience in dealing with, with others, keep those set the, set the expectations low that the odds of Nick being as good at anything else in life as he is at racing are realistically like step back from it pretty low. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling for that. And I did tell Nick in our last conversation, I'd appreciate it if he'd just return it, you know, within a week or so, if he, if he gets a text message from me, uh, <laughs> he said, believe me, I read them all. I just, I'm not good at replying. So, all right, Luke, I, we, I've, I've, I've loved on Nick plenty, really amazing accomplishment. Let's talk about the guy that Nick come up short to in yeah, that 100K final. Yeah. Speaking of underrated, not, and I don't know how you get underrated when you've done what Kyle Cotrera has done in racing, just within the last three years, much less over his long, quote unquote, career in racing, this guy does nothing but win. And when he doesn't win, he was a threat to win. And it's over and over and over. And Kyle Cotrera got that $100,000 win. And bless his heart. It felt like he wasn't even the story because Nick had just staged in a 100K final seven days prior. But Kyle Cotrera is absolutely elite, Luke. And I wonder where a guy that has won like he has won and does it the way he does it, where does he fit in the conversation 
about elite racers right now. We talk about the Williams brothers and the Scotties and Peters. And we talk about these guys like Nick that continue to win over and over and over and Pete Diagnolo and a lot of their winners. But Katrera takes a back seat to no one. Jeff Sarah, those type of guys. He takes a back seat to no one, Luke. This guy freaking wins like crazy and deserves to be, if not on top of the list, dang close to it. Without question. Um, once again, there's nothing sweeter than a repeater. It wasn't Columbus last year. Kyle Coltrera did not win Spring Fling Columbus, I don't believe. He did win a $100,000 fling event last year. It was in Bristol. He wins a $100,000 fling event this year. It's in Columbus. Um, yeah, I think I would agree with you. I, for me, and, and obviously this is a super subjective thing, and I'm not trying to, we're not talking pantheon of all time. Like Kyle just hasn't raced long enough. Jeff Sarah hasn't raced long enough to, to figure out where they fit in. Nick Hastings hasn't raced long enough to figure out where they fit in and, and that. But right now today, like, who is the guy or gal that you least want to line up against? For me, there is Jeff Sarah, and then like he's in a tier of his own, right? For me. But if you go the next tier, and that's probably dependent on the day of the week or where you catch me, like that tier is probably fairly wide, right? But I think Kyle Coltrane is at the top of it. Like, I'm not ready to say that he's like a 1B behind Jeff Sarah. Like, what I've seen Jeff do the last two years, three years, I, I, I think it's, you know, outside of some of the stuff that Scotty did maybe two decades ago, like, it's the most impressive run that I've seen, not just in terms of results, but in terms of it, 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 results combined with the way that he goes about it. Like, it's just consistently head scratching to me to watch somebody be that good, that consistently, right? So let's just separate Jeff and what he's done lately. Coltrera, to me, that next tier might include um, Troy and Gary, and it might include uh, Johnny Zell and Peeps and Chris Bear, and I'm probably leaving out a handful more. Um, but at the very least, in my mind, Kyle Coltrera is on that tier and might be at the, the peak of that tier you know, just below Jeff Sarah, in my mind, again, super subjective, but where, where does that, where does that rank up for you? No, I agree with your, your assessment of that wholeheartedly. He's, uh, he's definitely up there with those elite racers that you mentioned. Um, I do think Sarah has elevated his game to a level that, that is unmatched right now for top bulb racers. But again, Kyle Cotrera is not very far behind if he's behind at all. I guess, and maybe he's underrated might not be the right word, Luke, but I think he's underrated because he just doesn't do it with a whole lot of flair and pizzazz. Yeah. Kyle Cotrera, you know, he, he pits in the North 40. He wants to be away from everybody. He uh, comes to the lanes and doesn't do a whole lot of talking and, and getting out and rambling around. He, you know, nobody says, man, did you see Cotrera was dialed 451 this lap and 455 the last, you know, he, he's pretty disciplined to his program and his strategy and he sticks to it and he does it extremely well. You know, I, the Jeff Sarahs of the world, their, their strategy to me is a little mind boggling. If you know, you're never going to be worse than 15 or 20. Why do you hold six? I guess, cause you can, uh, the, the Adam Davis approach, but uh, Cotrera just doesn't do it that way. 
And maybe that's a little underwhelming for some people, and they, they just don't put a lot of uh, style points on his, his strategy. But this guy, when he comes to the lanes and he's got a plan, he sticks to it and does it extremely well, and it pays off quite often. And, and certainly he deserves to be uh, talked about when we're talking about the best in the game as uh, as we're living it right now in the moment. Couldn't agree more. Now, it's rare, even in this day and age where it seems like there are big dollar bracket races on every corner, it's rare that we get multiple six-figure purse events, right? Winner's purse events in the same weekend. Last weekend was one of those weekends. In addition to Summer Fling Columbus, and I didn't mean to cut you off if there's anything else you wanted to chime in on from Columbus, but in addition to that, we had another race, $100,000 to win down in your neck of the woods, Big Jed, Montgomery, Alabama. Yeah, no, as a as perfect transition into that, Luke, I was uh, I was ready for that as well. And um, the the guys at Great American Bracket Races, uh, Britt Cummings and Galen Rollison, um, they are known for great events. You know, they've had two years of the guaranteed million. Um, this uh, this time around this year, there won't be one of those, but they've continued to put on great races time and time again and this particular event was no different a hundred thousand dollar main event race surrounded by a couple of 30s and um luke we you know we've come to uh come to expect a lot out of any promoter in the game but that this tandem brit and galen uh, these guys continue to try to raise the level of how promotion works uh, and how they format their events. This was a really cool deal and a, and a neat idea. So you enter this event and you, you, you could enter the thirties and then the hundred K your entry in the hundred K itself was a buy one, get one. So the entry fee for that got you two entries so even if you didn't like the double, you could offer that to someone else and let them run the second entry or what have you. But that was a really interesting strategy that they put on that particular day. And it, you know, to me, it's really cool because it just levels the playing field. There, there's no, nobody buying more entries than others could afford. If you could afford the one, you got the two and that's all you could get. And you went down the track just as many times as everyone else. So it did seem to level things up quite a bit. And based on the way that it worked out in the end, which we'll talk about shortly, um, you know, it seemed to it seemed to get uh, some fresh faces in the later rounds and certainly in the winner's circle. So that was pretty cool as well. Luke, they, this race had the worst weather forecast that it could possibly have for any success whatsoever any inkling hope desire dream of success was ruined by the weather forecast and this forecast was it was out there a week to 10 days ahead of time everybody saw it Britton galen did a live over a Facebook live over the weekend. I don't know if you got to see it, but at the time they announced it, 
there was no less than an 85% chance of rain any day. And some of those got above 95. They said, guys, we're racing. We, we don't trust the forecast. We're going to be there. We're going to do everything we can to pay the purse. It was not 100% guaranteed, but we're going to do everything we can to pay the purse. Don't let the forecast keep you from showing up. We're Bold. racing. Bold. And in retrospect, accurate. In retrospect, it was very accurate, and it was extremely bold. Um, I promote races, and we all watch the weather when we're promoting races. And, you know, some of it can worry you a little bit, but we also know that that bad weather don't kill races near as often as bad forecasts do. So uh, these guys had had a vision, had a plan. Uh, They say they had plan A, B, C, D, all the way down to – you know, deep in the alphabet. And I'm not sure what plan they ended up getting to, but it worked out really, really well. The 30 on Friday did get canceled. That uh, that particular day, it did what it was supposed to do or predicted to do. And the rain caused them a little too much trouble. So they decided they would just take the 60, I mean, the 30 and roll it into Sunday's 30 and make it 60 on Sunday pretty good idea okay so now everybody that stayed home can come down and race for 100k on saturday doubled and then you can stick around and race for 60k on sunday so 160 back-to-back days pretty good offering i mean that's a if you like to race for big money that's kind of kind of a dream type couple of days there and uh, and Britt and Galen, you know, they they stuck true to their word. They they put on the hundred k on Saturday. They did uh, think get the race down to thirty some odd cars on Saturday, Luke, and had to uh, had to call it for rain. And the dew point was very high, and the track just wouldn't dry. So they decided to move that into Sunday and finish that up, and also run the the sixty k on Sunday. So those 30 whatever racers that were left, Luke, were staging for 100K and a 60K in the same day. Now, I don't know how many people have had the opportunity to do that, but that was a pretty cool thing in itself. And quite frankly, I'm sure that all of those 30 whatever that were left had visions and dreams of making both finals, which is not really possible. I mean, you just don't have that kind of talent and fortune to make both finals with not, that kind not, of money not on them. Probable, but possible. Oh, it is possible. <laughs> oh, okay. But it looks like it was possible. <laughs> so I caught up to the to the live that Britt was doing with um I think the semifinals of the hundred K. And I'm going to say there were nine or so in the 60K remaining. So they run the they run the semis of the 100K. And I can't remember exactly how it worked, but I think Casey Prince had to buy in the semis of the 100K. He takes, no, 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 no. No, he had to buy in the 60K. He ran in the 100K because when they come back around to see everybody in the lanes for the 60K, they said, we're waiting on Casey Prince. And I went, 
holy crap, this guy is going to the final for 100K. He's down to nine in the 60K. I mean, he is living his best life right now. He's, he's having a dream day. And when it all shook out, Luke, the 100K winner was Casey Prince over a very familiar name in winter circles in this part of the world, if not everywhere. And that's Champ. Champ in the Overkill Motorsports ride going to another huge final. Talk about guys that's just continuing to win. Champ even like almost quit racing, took off for God knows how long, nine, ten months, came back out and was knocking them dead, and he's still doing it. Guaranteed million runner-up. This hundred grand runner-up. He's he's won a hundred grander, one fifty granders. Champ just continuing to show up and and blow the competition away. A very talented dude and and makes another big final round. But Casey Prince is not a name you probably would have picked. And I'm not uh, picking on Casey or making uh, making any kind of fun of him. Uh, he's a talented guy. He just don't get out a whole lot. But Casey Prince got a hundred k win, Luke, and that's a that's a dream day at the racetrack. And and he when he when he got his hundred k win, he's down to like the quarterfinals for 60k i couldn't imagine what would be going through your head right there other than you know i could just i'm about to possibly do something that might not ever be duplicated i'll tell you what would be going through my head but um i think i've got at least 10 years on casey prince i think i'd be getting tired it's a lot of racing. <laughs> yeah there's there's yeah. an adrenaline that takes over but i'm like oh you know this is about to catch up with me wasn't about to catch up with him yeah, I probably would have been in the same boat, but I probably would have got tired four or five rounds earlier and been watching. But nonetheless, he's down to the down to the quarters, makes it to the semis. I think that's where he got his buy. I'm not real sure how it all worked out, but Casey Prince did win the hundred and make the 60k final and come up a little short in the 60k final. Still, you know, I'm. I'd say that's one of the best single days in bracket racing history, not necessarily in terms of dollars won, but just overall accomplishment. I mean, to win a hundred K and stage for a 60 K final in the same day, not a lot of opportunities to do that. So it's not like you've, you've done something that everybody gets many chances at, hmm. but you still did something that is truly, truly historic and staging both of those finals in the same day. And, and Casey, uh, a young man out of uh, the Georgia, out of, you know, just south of Atlanta, uh, the Southern Truck Parts team, uh, talented young man, nice young man, and uh, very, very deserving of uh, his amazing day at the racetrack. Yeah, if you're going to, first off, let, let me backtrack to McCrory. Before, don't at me, listeners. Like, that's another one I just – overlooked when i was talking that tier top champs on that tier too obviously oh um, definitely casey prince but if you're gonna if you're gonna limit it to best day on the racetrack when you combined obviously how lucrative it was and and to make two finals of that stage like forget i was gonna say you know you make a you win 100 grand to runner up a 60 grand or most of us would call that a season that's not accurate most of us would call that a career casey yes. prince called it a called it sunday right like Pretty impressive stuff, pretty heady stuff. And even if you're going to broaden that a little bit, like I'm just trying off the top of my head, 
um, you know, let's say best weekend at the racetrack, right? The, the performances that come to mind are Steve Cisco a couple of years back at the, at the guaranteed million up in Michigan. It's Scotty Richardson, 2001. It's, you remember Rick Bear? Like those of you, you, you young kids, like go look this up. Like Rick Bear had a weekend. It's probably 20 years ago now, like between Norwalk and Rockingham, like, which is that it's not real close between those two. You know, if you get a map, <laughs> and and, and he, he won like everything you could win. Right. And to the Michael Carpenter. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Carpenter is a good one. Um, there was another uh, Labouche running the table at the first fling, right? Yes. Things like that come to mind. But basically everyone that we just mentioned was a known quantity. Like there are people reading this go, who the hell's Casey Prince, right? To just, sure. obviously we know from, from having raced in that area a good bit, we know who Casey is and we know that he's capable, but to the outside, you go, man, this guy popped out of nowhere. And is all of a sudden, you know, taking home a check for after the split, probably six figures or close to it, right? Like that in itself is really makes this stand out, I think. Yeah, I couldn't agree more uh, that, uh, you know, the, the financial impact certainly makes it an unbelievable day. But you know, weeding through the competition with all that on the line, knowing that you're you're in late in two separate races that uh, have that kind of potential and pay, it's uh, it's got to do things to your mind and your body in case you didn't let any of that win. And uh, I'm really, really happy for Casey. It was 291 entries in the 100K. Like I said, it was a buy one, get one deal. And then 141 entries in the, the 60K. So, uh, you know, a significant enough crowd that there was some difficult racing in there. And, and Casey, you know, made his way through all of that tough competition into both of those finals. And Luke, while Casey is the story for what he accomplished, um, the, the 60K winner is truly something special. Um, it's a 17-year-old young man out of Roanoke, Alabama, that come out of the junior category, uh, raced several years in that, and just jumped right into big cars with, uh, with a pretty good understanding of how this game works and how you play it uh, several different ways, and really has performed very well and, and put himself in position to do really good things at some events but this 60k win was a just a breakout deal for a 17 year old Braden taylor uh, obviously everybody knows brandon his father bt uh, brought Braden through the ranks in the bracket racing um scene and and you know he's he's taught him well you can tell Braden is a is is a student of Brandon. Brandon knows all the tricks and he's a talented guy and has done great things in the sport himself. Really to, to see Braden accomplish something so significant so early in his racing career was really, really special. 17 years old. I'm not sure that a 17 year old even understands what he accomplished. You know, I mean, uh, obviously he's probably there on dad's tab and uh, you know, that that financial impact is not truly felt uh, by him at that level. But to just keep it together and get out there and accomplish what he did with the added pressure, knowing you're racing the guy that just won 100 grand, you got the guy that just got 100K payday in the other lane, and he's and you're trying to stop him from doing something amazing. And Braden was able to do that. 
again at 17 years old just a huge congrats to him that's a that's a an amazing day at the racetrack that people go a lifetime without ever getting close to and he got it done very very early pretty cool deal I'll, I'll push back on that a little bit, Jed. I, not on the on the on the face of Brandon Taylor having a Braden Taylor having a, an incredible day at a young age. But I'll push back a little bit on the idea that um, like uh, the way I take it is like you don't know what you don't know, and and perhaps from a from a financial perspective, like the 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 gravity of that moment's a little bit lost on on anybody at seventeen years old. I will say like just having been a student of the game like Braden has come up in this sport right from a very young age like I don't think the significance of that moment that stage is lost on him at all like I I feel like in some instances that's even harder at a young age because you've got that chip on your shoulder like I've got something to prove here you know the financially yeah I get what you're saying but I almost feel like it's uh I don't think that the gravity of that moment was lost on him mainly given his upbringing, if, if that makes sense. I know coming up that some of those big races to me, like I think I made them a bigger deal than they ever had to be just because coming up around the sport, I knew how special it was to watch people accomplish those things. You know what I mean? I think I almost built it up into, into more than it is, if that's possible. Yeah, that's very fair and, and probably very accurate, Luke. Um, you know, it certainly wasn't um, speaking necessarily about Braden the person, but just a 17-year-old. But he probably has a unique view of, of this type of race and, and understands it a little better than most 17-year-olds. And in a day and time where, you know, these kids get on their phone between rounds and they're looking at their social media as he was advancing towards this amazing accomplishment. I'm sure his phone was going absolutely bonkers. And then you've got all that and the kids that you've raced from California to, to Connecticut and everywhere in between, and you've raced them in juniors. And now they're all rooting you on telling you, go get it done. You know, there's so much emotion that comes with that type of uh, interaction on social media or, or through your text messages or whatever. And he just harnessed every bit of it and went out there and got it done. It's a huge, huge accomplishment for him and I'm happy for him and, and BT both. It's such an interesting juxtaposition when you, when you zoom out from it a little bit, you know, someone of, of our age, Jed, I'm sure you can go back and in, in time yourself, like again, not to, to, compare my uh my my upbringing or my early accomplishments with one of Braden Taylor but that's obviously the only perspective that I've got to fall back on so I think of um you know the the first big win that that I had it was actually at the same facility at uh, at Montgomery at the, the day after the million you know years and years ago now um but that was late on a Sunday night and there might have been I don't know it felt like maybe two dozen people still there right to to watch that and it felt like the weight of the world's on my shoulders. Nobody knew about it till not the next day. You know, this is 1999. It was the next week. <laughs> yeah. In this modern world, like we've kind of adjusted to it relatively gradually to where now this seems like it's, it's obviously different, but it, it doesn't feel like night and day. Like I can't imagine going through that at that age and processing you know, what literally it doesn't just feel like it, like it is like all eyeballs in the sport are on you at that moment. Like I thought the pressure was immense 
the way that it was 20, 25 years ago, like to, to compartmentalize that at such a young age now. And, and maybe it is different just because this is the way of the world and he's never known anything different, but I just feel like that's a whole different pressure than, than what I remember. It is a whole different pressure than what you remember, Luke, but um, you know, and again, no, no knock on our racing landscape today, but when you did that 20, 25 years ago, you couldn't go next week and make up for it at the same level. You couldn't go next week and hit a hundred grander or 50 grander. Um, <laughs> these kids today, you know, I'm sure this, you know, is going to pole vault him into Darlington at the SFG event, double entered and, and, you know, not have any concerns whatsoever. So, you know, when you did what you did back then, um, you were doing something that everybody had looked forward to for quite some time. You could skip a couple of hundred granders in the past couple of weeks and make one next week. So uh, it's just a little different time these days. So um, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, I, again, I think that did add a lot of pressure back in those days for sure. I do want to, I want to, widen the lens just a little bit, Jed, and you touched on it earlier and, and you may want to circle back on it yourself and keep it in mind where I'm coming from here, because I wasn't in Montgomery and the forecast had nothing to do with that. Like it could have been 80 degrees and sunny for two weeks leading up to this race. I was still going to watch my nine-year-old race for $300 in a car that won't run within half a second, right? That, that's just what I was going to do last weekend. I wasn't going to be in Montgomery. So but to zoom out a little bit from this event, I don't, I don't think we can sing the praises of Brit and Galen enough. And it's not just because they're friends. It's not just because we respect what they've done as promoters. Um, like we can and have spent a lot of time, not just on this podcast, but as a, as a racing community, either crucifying or defending promoters for, you know, that have cut purses, right. And, and, and quote unquote guaranteed purses at that. This is an event to your earlier point, Jed, the forecast couldn't have possibly been worse. I think not most like 99% of promoters, this race never would have happened. Probably shouldn't have happened, right? Like it, it's yes. no matter what the weather ends up doing when the forecast is this bad Monday, Tuesday, nobody's coming. Not in, not in this day and age when it costs $5 a gallon to, to get down the road, right? So to just have the race in the first place, like kudos, right? To try. And then keep in mind, this race wasn't guaranteed, right? Like, I mean, it was, it's the way that, that Galen and Britt typically do things, right? It's, it's, uh, there's, a, there's a plateau. And if it doesn't meet the car count, they typically pay, you know, 80, 90%, like it's, it's close almost no matter what, but they didn't get the car count. They didn't meet the plateau. Like they didn't have to pay the purse. They didn't have to have the race. They didn't get the minimum car count. They're not in no way obligated to pay that, that big number on the flyer. And yet they paid every dime of it to the point that they obviously took a bath, lost money. And no, and I, I guess the reason that I wanted to bring light to that, and again, I wasn't there. I can't say it was like the greatest race in the world. I have no idea, but we're so quick to point out when it doesn't go that way. And, and honestly, we've been quick to defend promoters. Like, Hey, I understand. Like there's no sense in, in taking a bath. Here's a situation where these guys didn't have to, and they chose to, 
And I, I mean, I feel like it's, I don't know why else you would do that other than to prove a point. Like, hey, we are, we are in this for the long haul. We've had really good races in the past where we've made a lot of money. And we understand that part of being a promoter at this level is doing everything that we're going to say to do and more. And sometimes that means that we're going to turn a profit, a healthy profit. And sometimes it means that we're not. And to, to go out and do that today, and I guess, you know, kudos to the, to the fling staff as well. Like, I don't think Columbus was profitable. I don't know that it lost the money that, that, that this race at Montgomery did. There's two races that, that I don't think were huge successes. And yet everything's paid out down to a T. And in this particular case, like they did more than anyone could have rightfully expected them to do. And I think it's easy for us as racers to brush that under the rug as expected, um, but it's not common. And I think it's on us and people like us to shine light on it. Like it's pretty heady stuff. Very good point, Luke. Um, that, that was one of my key takeaways as I, as I wanted to wrap up the discussion about this event was that it was not guaranteed. And Britain Galen not only had an out, they had every out possible to just say, guys, here's what we can do. And, and this was our best, you know, that we can give you and, and still, I guess, not lose money or, or break even or whatever, or if they even have that type of discussion. Yet those guys, it was not a sellout. It had a cap field and it was not a sellout. It had the worst, worst forecast that it could possibly have. And they actually got some rain, which, you know, when you, when you rent a facility, typically you're going to pay for the amount of days that you're there, whether it rains or not. So they're, they're That's expense- a really good point because like you had the opportunity Monday to just say, ah, it's not going to happen. And then you had the opportunity, like you've got everybody there and it's obviously not a huge crowd and it rains. Like you can send them all home, right? That's what most promoters would do. And they didn't. Yes. So had every out possible, yet they paid the purse in full as it read on the flyer. And that, you know, is commendable for any race, but a race with a quarter million dollars worth of purse tied to it. I mean, hope. Holy cow, that is that is commendable on another level. And those guys didn't do it to get a pat on the back. They did it just because they thought it was the right thing to do. They they thought that, you know, they they should reward the people that came and supported them in arguably one of the the least likely to happen races that you could have. And they pulled it off and they paid every penny of it. Just excellent, excellent, uh, I guess, show of appreciation for their supporters and two guys stepping up and, and doing what I don't think most would do. And if I'm just can be transparent as possible, I'm not sure I would even got close to being in that position myself. I, I think I probably would have had to have handled things quite a bit differently. So I think it's. Uh, I'm not uh, too proud, Big J. You kind of sugarcoated, stepped around. There's no way in hell I do that. <laughs> Sorry, I mean I love it. I, I, it's so admirable. They're better, better than I am. I couldn't do it. Yeah, I agree. I I don't think I would ever got there either. They were committed to paying it. If it got anywhere close, it didn't get really that close. 
but they paid it anyway. And uh, they had to come out of pocket significantly to pay it, but they paid every penny of it. So job well done, Britt and Galen. Thank you, Great American Bracket Races, again, for stepping up and uh, having a, a really cool format. It's hard to differentiate yourself these days uh, with race formats. I think you accomplished that. You uh, made some people's day, week, month, year, career down there with your paydays and the, the great trophy and things that went with it and uh, and you certainly should have a feather in your cap for uh, for stepping up and doing everything that you said you would if it worked out a certain way and it didn't work out a certain way but you did it anyway so thank you guys appreciate that and and certainly um uh, i know the racers that were there appreciated as well as i've seen that um that outcry on social media well, luke that wraps up the bracket race yeah, there was a lot to lot to unpack there. There was, there was. We don't have much on the NHS. So there's one divisional event over the weekend, uh, Division Five event up in Earlville, Iowa. And I, I mean, there's some performances worth talking about. Steve Stockton got his second top sportsman win of the season. Uh, Wyatt Wagner was in yet another Superstock final. This time he fell in the final to Larry Hodge. The only thing that really moves the needle points-wise is actually in the Super Gas category where Phil Unruh got the win. Uh, it's his second divisional win of the season. Unruh this time around, he, he defeated Al Gavlowski uh, in the final. Phil Unruh had won the divisional at Vegas earlier in the year, was runner-up in Topeka as well. And it doesn't take much imagination when you start stacking these together. Phil Unruh has become a title contender in Supergas. And if you'll remember, um, it was probably a month plus ago, I said, hey, Supergas, it looks to be a three-way race. It looks like it's Austin Williams, it's John LaBoost Jr., and myself. And, and if you recall talking about that, like we were the top three a year ago. And I said that based upon A, the three of us had the best scores on paper at that time. And to be honest, like we've all got the, the, the pedigree, like you expect at least one of those three, if not two or all three of us to stretch that out, right? To, to continue stacking late round performances and kind of separate from the field. Um, over that last month, that has not been the case. John, Austin, myself, we've all stumbled. And that has left the door open for the rest of the field, right? To, to make a run at this. And, and I'd mentioned, you know, if we stumble, it's Jim Perry, it's Phil Unruh, it's Mike Boehner, a couple of others. Unruh is, is, has taken advantage of this opportunity. So now with this win, he's actually in prime position. Now I'd say at minimum, it's a four horse race. And Austin, John, myself, like we're running out of races quick and Phil's got a bunch left. Um, so Phil Unruh, like say, this is not going to be determined probably until the NHRA tour heads out West at the end of the season. But Unruh right now on paper, looks to have a really good shot at, at, at the very least making that a four-way race. If not, you know, maybe even the title favorite. Yeah. Unruh obviously is, uh, is making a charge at it. And I wouldn't say that it was um, just out of nowhere, obviously with his talent, but with the lack of races, I think that he had attended, it just looked like, you know, Phil's not going to going to try to do a whole lot, but now he's put himself in position where he's got to get the field card out and do a little trap and take a run at it. Um, always got cool equipment, cool dude. So um, be interesting to see if he can uh, continue to ch challenge you guys, Luke. We've got, some IHRA news, some WDRA news. 
Honestly, I don't know where you stand on this, Chad. I'm a little bit burnt out. Like we can touch on this. I, I, I don't want to seem insensitive. Like I, I, I think I'm past the point of really caring, but we can hit it. What do you, what do you think? No, I'm excited about it. And uh, we definitely okay, need to talk okay. about it. So yeah. Um, I mean, they've got their, they've got their name. They've got their, uh, you know, initial list of racetracks, uh, people signing up. They've got, uh, discussions with many other facilities i think they've got 30 tracks committed uh, and talks with 50 more um luke for for something that we wasn't sure if it was just going to kind of die out or what it got some traction pretty quickly uh i did um learn a little bit about don scott today i wasn't very familiar with don i was familiar with some of the other key figures on the uh on the the consult team uh, with uh, with the WDRA, but Don Scott, I, I learned a little bit more about, and Don is a very very successful businessman. That um, you know, if this thing made five million dollars this year or five dollars this year, either one is not going to impact him either way. It ain't going to cost him anything, and it's not going to. He just put that five million with the other ones, so. Um, I, I think okay, okay. I, I think they've got the right guy leading the charge here that can stand to to build this thing in the racer's favor for once, which I believe is going to get people excited. So it's going to be very interesting to me to see how this how this continues to progress and play out. But uh, the fact that they signed these thirty and it's some you know, it's some serious racetracks. I mean, it's, it's some long successful running racetracks. So to get those 30 and have talks with 50 more, I, I really, I really think this thing's going to continue to gain traction and the WDRA is going to at least make a run at it. Now, you know, the, I don't think the dollars and cents is going to impact Don a whole lot. So if it loses a little year one or whatever year two, I don't think that's going to matter. Now the, the burnout associated with continuing to beat your head against the wall to try to succeed and factors keeping that from happening could come into play, but they might get a lot of traction and be successful. So I'm uh, I'm still excited about this, Luke. I'm still interested to see how it continues to move forward. Okay, I got to admit, your bullish nature on this has me intrigued, and you shared some things that I, I didn't know that that are exciting. Allow me to to temper that enthusiasm slightly. Okay, um, I hope you're right. Let me preface it that way. I hope you're right. Like I, I hope this is the guy. I hope this is the the next version. And this is not a fair standard, but this is the next version of Bill Bader Senior. You know, somebody that can really breathe life into. Uh, an organization like this and, and make it good for everyone involved, right? Like that's what I'm rooting for. Make no mistake. Um, I'll also say, I, I said this a week or two ago, I felt like the WDRA won the press release and this is an extension of that. And because when you look at this, a 30 tracks, you know, within seemingly a couple of weeks of, of organizing this, that's a big number, right? Um, and they're very spread out, like seemingly every, every corner of, you know, what, we would have once considered IHRA country and, and quite honestly, probably beyond. Um, with that said, if I zoom in on it a little bit, I think the, 
majority of the facilities included were pretty predictable. Like I couldn't have named all 30, certainly. And there were some surprises on there, but you could, it doesn't take much to connect the dots and know that the, the core, I don't know, dozen, 15 facilities, like you knew we're going to go this direction. Right. And so I think going forward, two things, the first that seems more important right now, and it's probably not more important big picture is okay. They got these 30, but there was what 80 some odd tracks operating under the IHRA banner over the last year. Mm-hmm. 30's not 80. Right. And obviously they're making inroads. Like I think it's fair to say now that they are going to get the majority if, if it's a battle between IHRA and WDRA, but if that's splintered at all, and it's got to be splintered some, you know, what exactly, as we've talked about before, does that leave? Ultimately, I don't know how important that is. Ultimately, the question becomes not who wins the press release or who gets the majority of those 80 some odd tracks. Like the success of this, because right now I think I feel like what we as sportsmen racers, those racers that have um pledge their loyalty to facilities that have operated under the IHRA banner. I think just out of the strict, you know, this is for all of us, you know, fear of change, if nothing like this, like what we're rooting for is, is the status quo, right? Like I just, I want to continue the, the summit super series. I want to continue to compete for points and race in my bracket finals and, and, and have that similar structure. But I think when we step back from it, like the status quo of what IHRA has been for the last decade I'm not going to say it's not a sustainable business model. I guess it can be, but it's not optimal. And I don't think it's what Don Scott and this regime is ultimately after. But the when we look back on this two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, we'll gauge their success not on whether or not they were able to rebuild what was once IHRA. It's whether or not they were able to transcend it. Yeah, very well said. And uh, obviously, there's a lot of unknowns still remaining, but um, I really believe that their their mission statement is not something that that they're just putting out there in hopes of getting people to join the organization. Based on what I was told today, I just feel like they they have the backing that they need and they are not in this to gain financially. They're, they're really just trying to do something special that works for tracks and racers. And, you know, that's, uh, that's still going to take some sponsorship support from some major outfits and major companies. But if they get that, I think this thing could really take off. And, you know, I, I, I know at one time the group that separated from my HRA I think said they needed 50 tracks to, or maybe 60 tracks to get uh, some sponsors interested. Um, if that's what it's going to take, I think they're going to surpass that mark and maybe get some other people interested and bring along some names that'll help them. And I don't know, Luke, I just, I'm, I'm looking for not necessarily big things out of this group, but some different things that, um, don't appear to be so one-sided in, in some of the, the offerings that they have. So it'd be pretty neat to see how it plays out. And um, 
you know, uh, we are, we're the biggest, baddest uh, sportsman drag racing podcast there is. You know, I don't know if you know that, but we are. And self-proclaimed humble too. Humble. Yeah. I think, uh, I think Don Scott could do himself some good by coming on this show and let us uh, chat with him a little bit. So I, if, if half of what you say is true, he could make me a believer. I, uh, yeah, I, I'll admit this much at this point, Big Jed, you've set the hook. Like I, I'd said, I was burnt out on this. I'm over it. I'm, I'm here. Like I, this is going to be an ongoing saga. I'm, I'm ready to commit every week, minimum every other week through the end of 2021. We're going to have the IHRA update. We should even create a segment. Okay. Reeled you right back in. You're back. I'm back, yeah. baby. <laughs> well, all right, Luke. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about that plenty more. As uh, as things progress, I'm not sure how much more traction it'll get this year, but um, again, we might even get Don Scott on here to chat and uh, and give us some insight into what they have going on, and and we'll certainly report any news that we get along the way. But Luke, that wraps us up. I mean, we're uh, we're pretty much a, a short show today. We we had some great bracket racing events that we got to talk about. A little bit of NHRA, and of course the WDRA. Uh, drama continues but um uh, we appreciate folks listening this long and uh, certainly if there was a a racer or a subject that we touched on that uh, you'd like to comment on there's a place for you to do that you can go right there to the sportsman drag racing podcast facebook page let us know what you think when the show posts you can uh, comment there you can make your own post right there on our page and get some conversation started if you're a little bit shy and you don't want to do that you can uh, send that direct message, private message, and um, producer Mark will snag that up and and certainly uh, let us know what's being said. Luke, you got a list of shouts. Uh, by the way, I was wrapping the show up, but we didn't talk about the JEG Summer Door Car Shootout. Um, well, full transparency, we haven't recorded the intro yet. We can hit it there. Okay. Well, you know, we, we can definitely preview it or whatever but um you got a perfect forecast you've got the largest crowd committed that you've ever had you've got sponsors lined up galore you're paying more money you've got an engine that you're giving away from Seabrook performance uh for the the shootout from past winners this this little door car race in the Midwest is uh, shaping up to be something extra special this week. And, and you guys uh, appear to be on track to set some records out there at I-57 drag strip. And this is becoming a theme in the show, Jed, you're bringing me back. Like I'm at, as I mentioned earlier, I'm at that stage of race promotion where I just want it to be over. Like I'm over. It's, it's so much freaking work, right? I get it. But yes. When you bring it up, like what we've got coming, it's, it's pretty neat. Um, the the Seabird performance, the Ultimate 57 is going to be awesome. Um, I think that everything has aligned itself. We've got a tremendous weather forecast. We've got, it just blows my mind. And I know that we've talked about it here on the show, kind of against all odds. We have, in 11 years of doing this, this is the first time we've literally had to turn racers away. Like we had a, a higher quota this year. We've got more space, facility upgrades. If you've ever been to I-57 drag strip, you know, it's, it's a little bitty racetrack. It's a little country racetrack. It, it's one of the, it is now become one of the nicest little country racetracks you'll ever go to, but it is still a little country racetrack. Um, we've cleared out space 
to fit 250 cars in there. And we don't, we don't do double entries, or at least we don't do same car, same driver, double entries. So I think we've got 11 drivers entered in multiple cars. We've got a, a handful of, of cars being driven by multiple drivers, but, you know, let's say that we're going to have 230 plus race cars on the grounds. And when I say 230 plus race cars on the ground, we've got a facility, as you well know, Big Jed, that will make 230 look like 600. Like we will use every inch of the facility to put 230 in. And on top of that, I think, um, I guess time will tell, but the stars, I think, are aligning in our favor in terms of forecast and the fact that uh, we have had rain, that they haven't got to race at I-57 drag strip um, in the last couple of weeks. And we're in a unique market here where, to be completely honest, there's not a lot of competition for the entertainment dollar. Like I fully expect to pack the place with spectators. When I say pack the place, in, in years past, we've gotten a little over a thousand spectators. But again, similar to the race crowd, we have a facility that makes, if you're there at I-57 Drag Strip with a thousand spectators, you would swear that there are 10,000 spectators. There's people everywhere. Yes. But it's just because it's a small place. and it, But when you combine all of that, the atmosphere is... Again, I, I hope that we can live up to that again this season, but the atmosphere is really, I, I, I don't want to speak in hyperbole, but it's unlike anything that I've ever been a part of racing wise. It, it's just, it's like being at a national event, but at, you know, your little bitty local racetrack, like it's, it's cool. It's different. That type of stuff has always appealed to me. I've always liked racing at the smaller tracks. And this is like, the national event for all the little hillbilly racetracks out there. That's what it's become. It's, we call it the biggest little door car race in the Midwest. And this is going to be the biggest of the biggest little door car races in the Midwest, I think. Yeah. It, I mean, I've, I've obviously got the opportunity to race in it quite a few times. I've, I've worked there for you. Um, it is an incredible venue. It's, it's got everything you could possibly want. It's got spectators. It's got great concessions. Uh, the, the racetrack, the new racetrack is phenomenal. You're going to pop wheelies there. Even if you're not a wheelie popper, it's a, it's a wheelie track. There's wheelie hey, contests. I mean, it's everything. It's got it all. Explain this to me. This makes no sense to me. Right. But this is a, my Vega. I think you could attest to this. I think I could pull out in my driveway right now, which is gravel and it would do a wheelie. Like it doesn't spin right? On any, on anything, it just hooks. And I got, you know, hundreds of graphs to show you that, like it does not spin the tires. So you've got a car, it does not spin the tires. I go to a, a local track, which there's nothing wrong with fine racetrack, right. And do well, you know, go rounds, leave there on the same day. Now at, at said local racetrack, I thought, man, this thing, like it's doing fine. It's consistent, but like, it's boring right? Like it's not doing a huge wheelie and I should loosen it up, but I'd hate to get it popping out of the Like I'm just going to leave it alone and race it. Right. I leave that track on the same day, drive to I-57. It's less than an hour away. It's the same weather. It wasn't spinning at the other racetrack. I got I-57 with that same suspension setup that was boring that like, I really ought to loosen this up. I almost flipped over like I went past the sixties on the rear tires. I had to tighten it all down. That doesn't even make sense to me. If it's not spinning, how can it get up higher at one place than the other? But for whatever reason, to your point, I do bigger wheelies at I-57 than I do anywhere. And explain it, Luke. I had 25 inch tires on the front of my car, one race up there. 
I was doing a decent wheelie. It was really nice and controllable. Uh, I went to Ronnie Maggart and put some 26s on the next day because I was a couple of low spots where my pan was a little too close to the ground. I raised basically the crankshaft up half an inch. And this thing liked to put on quite a show. It just stood up and went <laughs> 200 feet down the racetrack on the nearly on the back bumper. And the tail I remember it getting JJ's attention. Yeah, I was like, holy crap, what the just happened here? Uh, eventually wrecked that day. So that was a that was a day that went from uh, riches to rags. But and that's a, one of my favorite days at the racetrack, because when I crashed there, when I had my little incident and crashed, I, you know, the car could have gotten beat up so much worse. And when I, when I finally got it stopped and back on all four tires, when I got out of the car, the crowd went nuts. Like <laughs> I like, had, like you were big daddy hopping out both hands in the air. Like I was Joey Chitwood, you know, just <laughs> put on a, a stunt show. Like, like I did that. I was just riding, bro. I wasn't doing anything. I was just hoping not to crash any, but there was a huge crowd and they went crazy, man. Great job. Really nice work. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But appreciate it. Uh, so I don't know, just the whole place has got a unique feel to it. It's awesome. And, uh, I know that we're way beyond talking anyone into coming because the whole world was trying to get in and you had to say yes to two fifty and no to a lot. But um, if you ever get a chance to to visit the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout, it's a must do event that uh, that everybody needs to try to attend if they get an opportunity. So now, now that we got that out of the way, and that's long overdue, what about some shouts, Luke? Shouts to my my, my shout list is brief, but I think solid. Shouts to sweating like a hostage. Shouts to, I love the way you, you, you ultimately expanded upon it, but I love the way you just snuck in there at the end. You know, that was the day I eventually wrecked and just went right on with the conversation. Like that was no big deal. Right. I like that. Shouts to eventually wreck and shouts to Joey Chitwood. Shouts to struggling like Nick. God, I'd like to struggle. like. Oh my gosh. Yes. Shouts uh, along those lines. Shouts to Nick Hastings and his kissing ability. Shouts to the good lines. I don't oh, know if man. it's putting in the good lines or not, but I get it. Shouts to no the good way. lines. And I don't even know if this is a shout or just to say it one more time, and nothing sweeter than a repeater. <laughs> oh, excellent stuff. Guys, if you uh, if you tweet, Luke and I are on the Twitter. He is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. This was a fun show. We appreciate you listening this long, and we thank you for tuning in always. And of course, we look forward to talking to you real soon about more sportsman drag racing. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, 
there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.